Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, August 15th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Hickenlooper drops out, the Steve King stuff in Iowa, and O'Rourke rules out a Senate run. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Today, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper officially announced that he is dropping out of the race for president. Now, if you've listened to this show for the past week, that should be no surprise. Hickenlooper was, like many candidates in this field right now, up against a looming August 28th deadline to reach both fundraising and polling goals that were hard or maybe impossible for him to obtain in order to get into those next DNC debates. Now, here's the minor surprise. In his announcement, Hickenlooper did not immediately announce a run for Senate in Colorado. While many, myself included, suspect that he will eventually run there against Republican Senator Cory Gardner, Hickenlooper doesn't seem convinced. And, you know, that makes sense. He may be in a mode where he needs to really think about whether he's cut out for the Senate, especially given that he told us all earlier this year that, literally, he doesn't feel he is cut out for the Senate. Senate terms are six years long, and Hickenlooper is currently 67 years old. Also, to be totally clear, although Hickenlooper is polling great against Gardner in Colorado, it's likely that there are other Democrats who could win that race, too. So if I were in Hickenlooper's position, I'd be asking myself whether this might be a nice time to retire, hang out at my brew pub, enjoy my multiple millions of dollars, and just kind of put my feet up, or whether I'm ready to jump back in for another year of campaigning and then another six years of service. Hickenlooper is clearly thinking it over, so we will see what happens. So, like Swalwell and Gravel before him, let's take a look back at notable moments in Hickenlooper's campaign. He announced on March 4th of this year, meaning he spent 164 days in the race. Prior to the first debate, Hickenlooper was openly booed at a Democratic Party meeting in California when he suggested that socialism isn't the answer. Here is that now classic clip. We know it is absolutely essential to beat Donald Trump, but it is not sufficient. We must address the divisions that are tearing us apart. We must tackle the kitchen table challenges facing Americans. But let me be clear. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats in a quarter century. I was, you know, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping to reelect the worst president in American history. I was one of only two Democrats that year to win in a swing state. And as governor, I worked with nonprofits and business, with Democrats and Republicans, and we achieved big progressive results. And in the first two debates, here's what Hickenlooper had to say about the same topic. Governor Hickenlooper, let me get you in on this. You've warned that Democrats will lose in 2020 if they embrace socialism, as you put it. You were booed at the California Democratic Convention when you said that. Only one candidate on this stage, Senator Sanders, identifies himself as a democratic socialist. What are the policies or positions of your opponents that you think are veering towards socialism? Well, I think that the bottom line is if we don't clearly define that we are not socialists, the Republicans are going to come at us every way they can and and call us socialists. 
And if you look at the Green New Deal, which I admire the sense of urgency and how important it is to do climate change, I'm a scientist, but we can't promise every American a government job. If you want to get universal health care coverage, I believe that health care is a right and not a privilege, but you can't expect to eliminate private insurance for 180 million people, many of whom who don't want to give it up. In Colorado, we brought businesses and nonprofits together. We got the <coughs> near universal health care coverage. We were the first state in America to, to bring the environmental community and the oil and gas industry to address aggressively address methane emissions. And we were also the first place to, to expand reproductive rights on a scale basis, and we reduced teen pregnancy by 54%. We've done the big progressive things that people said couldn't be done. I've done what pretty much everyone else up here is still talking about doing. All right, Governor, thank you. Senator Sanders, I'll give you a chance to, to weigh in here. Okay, and here's one more notable debate moment from Hickenlooper. Listen in. Well, certainly the images we've seen this week just compound the emotional impact that the world is judging us by. If you'd ever told me any time in my life that this country would sanction federal agents to take children from the arms of their parents, put them in cages, actually put them up for adoption. In Colorado, we call that kidnapping. I, I would have told you, I would have told you it was unbelievable. And the, the first thing we have to do is recognize the humanitarian crisis on the border for what it is. We make sure that there are the sufficient fil uh, facilities in place so that women and children are not separated from their families, the children are with their families. Uh, we have to make sure that, that ICE is completely reformed and they begin looking at their job in a humanitarian way where they're addressing the whole needs of the people that they are engaged with along the border. And we have to make sure ultimately that we provide not just shelter, but food, clothing and access to medical care. With Hickenlooper's departure, the list of major candidates now drops to 23, and I expect that number to decline further in the coming weeks. You have reached Thursday. The end of the week is in sight. Congratulations, and let's push through together. So look, I know politics is a stressful topic. I, I really do know that because I spend every day wading through all this stuff and trying to insulate you just a little bit from the worst of it. Okay, so to take care of myself while I do that, I've been using an app called Simple Habit. Simple Habit has brief sessions to help me meditate. That's just me, my headphones, wherever I am. Whether that's the office, on a commute, whatever. That's like five minutes that's a gift to myself to restore me and my body after whatever stress I've been feeling. Simple Habit is free to use. There are hundreds of sessions right in there for free. But if you pony up a little cash, there are thousands more sessions in there, and I think you would benefit from them. If you need just a little help before you, let's say, go on a date, or do some big job thing, or need to handle grief, there are specific sessions tailored directly to those things. And they're short, and they will help you. They are helping me. Except for the date thing, I've got that one solved. So I want you to go to simplehabit.com slash ride. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a paid plan there will get 30% off. You got to use that special link. It's the first link in the show notes. Again, that is simplehabit.com slash ride to get the discount and let them know you came from this show. So one last time, the first 50 listeners who go to simplehabit.com slash ride are going to get 30% off. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Next up, let's talk about the race in Iowa's 4th Congressional District. Last week, I covered the announcement by Democrat J.D. Scholten, who is challenging incumbent Republican Steve King for his seat in Congress. Well, Representative King is now in the news for some remarks he made yesterday. I came across this first clip from CNN that gives us the most controversial stuff, then Wolf Blitzer asking Senator Kamala Harris to react to it. If you can't quite make out what King is saying at the beginning, don't worry, we'll get further into it afterward. So, listen in. What if we went back through all the family trees and just pulled those people out that were products of rape and incest? Would there be any population of the world left if we did that? Considering all the wars and all the rape and pillage that's taken place and whatever happened in culture after society, I know I can't certify that they're not part of a product of that. I, yeah, you're looking and you're, you're listening to what he had to <laughs> say. These guys are just out of their minds. Like, what, what, what is that? Um, you got one saying, yeah, that the statute of liberty only applies to people from Europe. You got another one saying it's rape and incest is okay. What is going on with these people? They need to, they, they do not understand the importance and the responsibility of their job. You called him a rape apologist. Uh, does he need to resign? Which he? You, Steve King. Oh, well, I think he shouldn't. If not, I think he's going to get beat in this election. Yeah, so points to Harris for calling it like she sees it. So here is the context. King was at a campaign event in Urbandale, Iowa yesterday, held by the West Side Conservative Club. While in Congress, King had sponsored legislation related to abortion, but did not include exemptions for rape and incest. He was pressured by Republican leadership to add those exemptions, but King refused as a matter of religious principle. So at that event yesterday, he gave a speech talking about all kinds of stuff like agriculture subsidies, biofuels, immigration, his history in state and national politics. I mean, it was a whole hour long speech. And this 20 second clip is what blew up. So my question was basically, what was the broader context around that clip, right? Like what would lead to someone musing on the societal value of rape and incest as things that maintain population levels? So I sat through about 40 minutes of the speech to find you this, which is the full context for that little snippet that's been all over the news. I have also cleaned up the noise in this audio a little bit, so it should be somewhat easier to make out, though I'm working from a pretty rough recording to start with. Okay, listen in. I had solid promises that we would get a markup in Judiciary Committee, but I kept getting messages, write write an amendment, accept an amendment for exceptions for rape and incest. And so I've got 174 people that say they don't want exceptions for rape and incest because they understand it's not the baby's fault to abort the baby uh, because of the sin of the father and maybe sometimes the sin of the mother too. And so I refused to do that. I just kept pushing the pressure up. We had the votes in the Judiciary Committee to peel off every amendment and put that bill on the floor and put and pass it on the floor and put the marker down that exceptions are not going to be part of the dialogue any further because this is about the sanctity of human life. And so um, I refused to do that, and down to the last couple days of our lame duck session, that order came back out of leadership. No markup, no floor action, boom. And uh, so, all right, I held ground on principle. 
Maybe we could have gotten that to the floor if I, if I compromised. It wasn't going to move through the Senate anyway, but we still stand on these principles alive. And since then, I started to think, we know the reasons why we don't accept exceptions uh, for the most of us for rape and incest, because it's not the baby's fault. But there's another, I started to wonder about this. What if it was okay, and what if we went back through all the family trees and just pulled those people out that were products of rape and incest? Would there be any population of the world left if we did that? Considering all the wars and all the rape and pillage that's taken place and whatever happened in culture after society, I know I can't certify that they're not part of a product of that. And I'd like to think every one of the lives of us are as precious as any other life. And that's our measure. Human life cannot be measured. It is the measure itself against which all things are weighed. Yeah. Well, so he was not misquoted and his comments were not taken out of context. And indeed, he did bring up this idea all on his own because he thought it was an interesting hypothetical. He really is saying that rape and incest are historical drivers of population growth, and heck, maybe he himself is a product of them, so what's the big deal? <sighs> Yikes, is all I can say to that. I should also point out, you can hear in there that he does touch on the idea that you shouldn't blame the child for the sins of its parents. But, advice time, that would be a better place to stop talking if you're trying to make this argument. By musing on the virtues of sexual violence, King is revealing a side of himself that is going to get him defeated in this election. Nobody wants to vote for this. So I play you this not because I'm going to bring you details of every gross thing Steve King manages to say, but I do think this is a key example of why so many mainstream politicians, including lots of presidential candidates, jumped on the announcement by Shulton that he is running for that seat. It's also probably part of how Shulton got Kevin freaking Costner to narrate the announcement video. And yes, both Republicans and Democrats have called for King to resign over this, and I doubt that will happen. Now, King himself faces a primary challenge on the Republican side for that race, so he may not even make it to the general election for that House seat. But if he does, this is a really straightforward example of what gets Democrats so riled up and so excited for the congressional side of the 2020 election. Now, let's all have a drink of water and try to clear our minds and move on. Last up today, in a speech this morning in El Paso, former Representative Beto O'Rourke resumed his campaign for president and announced that he would not run for Senate as some Democrats had suggested he should. He also said he wouldn't focus on things like the Iowa State Fair. And although he didn't say it in these words, he essentially said that was trivial and immaterial to the real issues we face. And I think he has a solid point there. The 20-minute speech was streamed live, but it was super choppy and I was unable to get much usable audio out of it. Here is one little segment that did work, though, so listen in. There have even been some who've suggested that I stay in Texas and run for Senate. But that would not be good enough for this community. That would not be good enough for El Paso. That would not be good enough for this country. We must take the fight directly to the source of this problem. That person who has caused this pain and placed this country in this moment of peril. And that is Donald Trump. I want to be the leader for this country that we need right now and that we do not have. Okay, so in the remainder of the speech, O'Rourke told much of the story he told in audio that we've previously played on this show. He recounted his experience after the El Paso shooting. He talked about going to the hospital with folks, but he also announced a gun buyback program and talked about it in the speech. 
Here's a clip of that part. The response to this has to be that each of us make a commitment to see clearly, to speak honestly, and to act decisively in this moment of truth. I, for one, see more clearly than ever that in a country that has 320 million people, but 390 million firearms, that we have too many guns, too many people who own them and use them and threaten us with them right now for the good of this country, for the good of the 40,000 of our fellow Americans, our fellow human beings who will lose their lives to gun violence this year and every year going forward until we change course. And I see more clearly than I ever have that not only do we need universal background checks, not only do we need red flag laws that would stop somebody when they pose a danger to themselves or someone else, not only do we need to end the sale of assault weapons and weapons of war that were designed for the battlefield and have no place in our communities, but we must, as a country, buy those weapons, take them off the streets altogether. There are millions of them today, and their ability to inspire terror, to make our kids and your kids afraid to walk into that classroom at Mesita or El Paso High, because we know as a country, we've accepted the murder of six and seven-year-old children where they sat at school. We've accepted high school students being hunted down in the halls of these institutions like El Paso High right behind me. It is time for us to be bold, to stand together, to stand up against those interests who would prevent us from saving the lives of our fellow Americans. On Twitter, CNN reporter Eric Bradner posted a written response that O'Rourke gave him about the new proposal. Bradner wrote, in part, quote, I asked Beto O'Rourke about his call for a mandatory gun buyback. Interesting answer, including him copping to not pushing it before because it's not politically easy, end quote. So let me read that full statement now. This is a direct quote of O'Rourke responding to Bradner, and O'Rourke did retweet this, by the way. Quote, Yes, I'm talking about a mandatory buyback of assault weapons and weapons of war in this country. The owners paid a fair price for what they own. But I gotta tell you, visiting with one of the survivors who was shot in both legs, going into her husband's hospital room, where he has not yet gained consciousness following the attack on August 3rd, is fighting for his life. They own an AK-47. And she told me, Listen, I'm a gun owner. I've used the very same gun that was used against me in that Walmart. And not only would I go through a background check, not only would I be willing to be licensed to own it, I would be willing to give that gun away if it means that we would be safer as a country. I know that this is not politically easy. It's frankly why far too people have proposed it. It's frankly why I have not proposed it in the past. I've said, this is something we should consider. I want to think about it. I want to talk to people about it. I've thought about it, I've talked to people, I've listened to that survivor. And now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, regardless of what it does to our prospects going forward, you've got to speak the truth and be clear about where the solutions are. 320 million Americans, 
390 million guns, including assault weapons that can be used to kill people very effectively, very efficiently, and to keep this country in a state of constant anxiety, and for some, even kids, terror. So yes, that's what we've got to do. And I know we as Americans can find a way to do this that's fair to all concerned, but at the end of the day saves more lives than we're saving now." End quote. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, it's raining in Portland, so I didn't buy a drill. That's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. You know, we're in an interesting season right now. It's that, like, middle of summer period where either everything is happening or, more often, absolutely nothing is happening. Today was surprisingly busy, and I've got a bunch of stories on deck for tomorrow, including a few really awesome listener questions. But meanwhile, I've got to run to go pick up some film negatives from good old Citizens Photo in Portland. They get that mentioned for free. Good place to get your film developed if you somehow need film developed in 2019. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.